everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 511, NFL Midseason Recap. Eddie, how was the weekend? Yeah, pretty good. A packed weekend of sport, filled with lots of moments of disappointment, but overall, not too bad. Yeah, I think uh, if people didn't lose on the Packers, then they probably definitely lost on the Bills. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, yeah, if you were trying to put together any kind of accumulator or parlay, I think most people would have put the Bills in there in some way, shape, or form, so... That's a I think even if you were a, a singles better and you saw minus three and a half for the Packers against the Lions, you were probably licking your chops thinking, oh, my God, the Packers against the Lions. This is, this is a lock. <laughs> and in many ways, it should have been right. I mean, if you take away if you just hadn't had Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball away in first and goal situations, it would have been, you know, that game should have probably been over in the first half. And even at the end, the Lions kind of tried to let the Packers win it, you know went into the death and they just weren't capable of doing it but a weird weekend but yeah i mean for me blackburn winning positive england winning in the cricket positive england losing in the rugby negative so mixed <laughs> mixed weekend yeah i mean i guess let's start with the nfl then since we just kind of mentioned it a little bit um let's do overreaction one do you start jordan love at qb for the packers next week I mean, I think it's a discussion for the Packers in terms of like, I mean, I don't know how they can move on from Aaron Rodgers and like, unless he's retiring, right? I mean, or trade. Yeah, but he's signing, he signed that new deal. So you're in a situation, it's not like his contract's running down and you can just move on as an organization. So unless you're determined to trade him this offseason, which of course there'll be a market for Aaron Rodgers. Like there's no doubt someone will trade for him. I don't know. He's definitely hurting his trade trade value every week. But, you know the Colts but, are licking their chops right now for a chance <laughs> they're over age, possibly over his prime quarterback to step in. They're yeah. done with Matt Ryan already. They are just licking their chops for Aaron Rodgers trade potential right here. Yeah, so I think you're close. Because I guess the argument would be at some moment in time, you need to see what you have with Jordan Love. You had glimpses of him, obviously, in previous seasons when Aaron Rodgers has been injured. But maybe giving him, like, at the moment, they're not quite out of playoff contention yet. I'm sure if the if you're the Packers, they're, they're telling themselves they can still make it. But if they lose another one or two games and it's season over, you may as well just say... We want to see what we have with Jordan Love. We want to give him four or five games so we can d- determine whether or not he is the future Packers quarterback or if we need to draft a quarterback in the future. So, I mean, well, just getting to that quickly, I mean, I don't, I don't see any immediate chance for them to get back in the race because they have Packers, Titans, Eagles are their next three games. Packers are playing themselves. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, Cowboys. <laughs> I, I mean, they are playing Cowboys, themselves. Cowboys, Titans. <laughs> Cowboys, Titans, Eagles. So in, in a sense, if they can get one win out of those three, that's that's a good result for them. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, so I'll give you my good. I'll give you my other overreaction. I think wait, I, wait, hold I, on. I, I want to do one more follow up. 
Yeah. Is, or is yours still Rodgers? Not, not Packers related. Okay. So the other thing with Rodgers is, obviously watching that game, I mean, some of those throws and some of those interceptions, it looked like he was just at, I don't know, like a Pro Bowl practice game where he was sidearm, kind of no looking, back, you know, back foot <laughs> kind of things. Now, here's my question. Yeah. He does that a lot. For a lot of his career, he's done that. So is this one, do you think it's him kind of giving up hope, not really giving a shit, just kind of going out, being a gunslinger, doing what he wants to do? Or is it he always does this, but now he just hasn't had the practice or just gelling with these receivers and these running backs that it's not working? Yeah, I think it's... I. Um... I don't think it's a practice issue necessarily. I just think it's one of the, it's like a season from hell, right? And things are going wrong and then they're not good enough to overcome the fact that every game, two or three things are going wrong. Like the, the interception that goes off the helmet, that's just kind of bad luck, right? Like oh, I, that's a terrible throw though. It's a terrible, th- it's a terrible he throw. He threw it down into his head. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's a terrible a throw. throw. <laughs> but on any other day that just hits the helmet and goes somewhere safe, right? And, you get away with it and they score a touchdown on that drive. And it's maybe a funny blooper of Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball into a defensive lineman's helmet, you know, like there's, but they're having one of those seasons where of course it balloons up in the air and it's an interception. The, uh, I think the worst interception, right. Was just criminally underthrowing that, that first, uh, you know, the goal line situation on first and goal. And just, uh, you got a wide open room receiver there like you've kind of called the smart play to try and get the lineman in as you know like kind of trick play on, at the goal line and then you for no reason at all just underthrow him by three four yards when it would have been an easy touchdown if he just and it's so, a situation so do you think that's rogers regressing do you think this is rogers age catching up to him that he's not what he was five years ago three years ago even one year ago <laughs> i feel like the packer i don't know because he always made stupid mistakes you know what I mean? Like you, you could always count on. I feel like even when the backers were good, they they did stupid stuff at the goal line. Like they were just one of those teams who, you know, some teams they get to the first and goal from the five, and you're like, well, you may as well just put seven points on the board. I feel like even with the Packers when they were good, you just thought, well, we never know. Something stupid might happen here, and and now the fact that they still are doing those stupid things, but at the same time. Their defense isn't as good as people expect it to be, although I guess you can't really criticize their defense too much for yesterday. It's not like they gave up a ton of points, but their defense hasn't been as good as it was expected to be. And then, I mean, they're struggling to score 20 points. Like, you're not going to win many NFL games if you are not getting to 20 points with any consistency. But then I'll give you my other overreaction. I've apologized to Trevor Lawrence already over the course of this season. I, I think I have to uh, offer an official apology to the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I, I said they were, I was putting them directly in the garbage after about two weeks. And uh, they're not bad. Are they the third best team in the AFC? I don't think so. Just because of their weakness at quarterback. Right? I think... Yes, when Tannehill comes back, that's an upgrade over what we saw last night. Like, they win that game with Tannehill. The fact that they couldn't at any, from midway through the third quarter onwards, the fact that they didn't score another point, and they basically, I mean, they punted on every possession from third quarter, you know, midway through the third onwards. 
all they needed was one more score to win that game. And I think at some moment in time, he gets them into field goal range. So, yeah. you know, they're good. I mean, when Derrick Henry is healthy, just he does things where it just looks unstoppable. And the way he just brushes through tacklers at times. I mean, the one when he, you know, any other running back would have got knocked over on that, on that one long run he produced when the guy just kind of threw himself at his legs and it, he barely broke stride. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy to see. But yeah, I think they're, they're pretty good. And they'll be a difficult out in the playoffs just because of that, Derek. Which they always assuming. are. You know, they kind of yeah. always are. And, and it kind of goes back to, you know, what we've discussed at different times over the course of the podcast this season, which is like you get to the playoffs, games slow down. They intend not to be quite as high scoring. So then when you do have someone like Derrick Henry, where you're just able to run the ball all the time, chew clock, it makes it just that much harder to beat you. So, I mean, they, they'd be a good candidate. If you could stick Aaron Rodgers on that team, then I'd yeah. say they'd have a chance of winning the Super Bowl. Ooh. Well, I'll give you a hot take, Eddie, from that same game. The Chiefs always get applauded for how great and inventive their play calling is. And no doubt that they do have some very inventive, unique plays that work. But what I find a lot now with the Chiefs that no one ever wants to criticize them, they are not a very adaptable team. Whenever they get caught in a game where a defense kind of has their number, they not only do they not get out of it, they kind of like shoot themselves in the foot more. Like that game, halfway through the first quarter, they just decided we're never going to run the ball again. Like we've just given up on the run. And it's something that all season they've actually been pretty good about consistently running the ball and almost not 50-50, but close to 50-50 with the pass and run where it takes some of the pressure off their pass game and opens some opens some lanes up for the for the passing. But for some reason, halfway through that first quarter, they were like, you know what? We're just looking to let Mahomes throw 70 passes today. And they never seem to adapt very well when a team kind of gets their number early on. And no one seems to notice. Like, they're always the, the best offensive play calling in the world. But I think that only is the best when it's all clicking. And when it's not, it seems disastrous. I mean, think of the Super Bowl. I mean, that was a disaster against the Bucks. You know, they couldn't get out of their own way. And they could never adapt that game. And you kind of saw that yesterday or last night. Yeah, and I think in particular with this version of the Bucks, uh, sorry, with the, this version of the of the Chiefs, if you can take Kelsey out of their offense, which the Titans managed to do, you really make them struggle to move the ball consistently. Like they might still have the big play threat and stuff. That's they're always going to have that. In particular, when you get the plays that break down and you've got Mahomes, you know, scrambling around in the backfield and then finding a receiver after seven seconds who's managed to get themselves wide open. Those those plays you kind of in a, in some respects almost can't take away from them. You know they're going to have one or two of those a game. But if you can take away Kelsey, which the Titans, did, I mean, they just double team Kelsey all game, and I'll, which I think is the mentality you have to have is just say, well, someone else has to beat us. Like, if it's going to be Smith-Schuster that beats us, okay, it's Smith-Schuster, but it's not going I mean, to be... It, it, it's, it nearly it's not going to be Mah- Yes, it's not going to be to Mahomes to Kelsey for 100 yards. Like, this yeah. is what it, we're going to guarantee. Is just it's just going to be thing. Mahomes to Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is end up what it was. <laughs> On that yeah. last drive, he had the, the third and 17 he converted, then he scored the touchdown run, and then he scored the two-point conversion. <laughs> yes. And... 
I mean, the Titans should have won that game. The only thing I think that frustrated me slightly from a neutral's perspective, they made a big deal, right, of Vrabel saying coming into that game, like the way you beat the Chiefs is you have to make sure you hold them to three points at different moments in time. The reverse is also true. You have to, you can't settle for three. Like it's not only a defensive question, right? It's an offensive question. And the one time I think that really they had the fourth and two after the interception, after the Kelsey, like, knocking the ball up and then getting the pick. They settled for a field goal. I think on fourth and two, when you have Derrick Henry, you should have gone for it. They were winning the game anyway. It was a question, okay, it was stretching the lead from five to eight points, in it, which you're kind of changing the game situation, but you're you're not by that much. Like You're still, yes, they now need a two-point conversion to tie, but you're still, even if you give them the ball, they need a touchdown. You know, you're I not, mean, ult- ultimately, it's still lost in the game, right? Because yes, they ended up tying it, getting the two point conversion, winning in overtime. So it's not like it, it not like it helped them very much. Yeah, I understand so I that's it, hindsight, but still, you, you know what I mean. Like there is some truth to that. Yes. So I think if you're them, you should have just said, "We need this to be like a true two score game," and so we're gonna go go for it on fourth and two in there. It, like I get it, not doing it on your own forty or something, not being reckless with that, but in that particular situation, I think you you have to go for it particularly when you know they had serious limitations at quarterback. So they, they needed, they had to recognize the fact they weren't going to have multiple scoring drives left in them. Like they, if they were getting the ball on their own 20, they were going to struggle to get into field goal range. And maybe that if you're variable, maybe that's the argument for taking the points when they're there to be taken. But I just think you needed to, you needed, you needed a touchdown just to really stretch that to a, a two score game. And the fact that they didn't, and then they never had another chance to score points. I mean, that was with like nine minutes left in the third quarter. And they didn't see the Chiefs half again. So, you know, you you have to be a little bit more aggressive, even when you are playing against a Chiefs team that's also struggling to move the ball and score points themselves. Have you underestimated the Jets? Um, You've maybe been pretty s- harsh on the Jets over recent weeks. I just said they're not in the top 10 of my power rankings. And, and even after beating the Bills, who are number one in my power rankings, they're still not in the top 10. Like, the Bills kind of threw that game away, right? Like, that was a really weird game. I think – I don't think the, the Jets' offense is very good. And and I, there's been a lot of praise for Zach, the way Zach Wilson played that game. But he was a – C plus game manager at best. Like that was not, I I don't walk away from that being like, Oh, he's the QB of the future because he still thinks he's playing at BYU where he's playing borderline division one athletes and he can scramble around for 30 seconds and throw the ball downfield and someone's going to catch it. And that doesn't happen in the NFL and he's going to get himself killed soon. But their defense is a legitimately good defense and sauce Gardner is could be the next Jalen Ramsey, the way he's playing. Like he is playing very well. And I their think defense, their, defense their defense played is, very strong. Their defense was good. At the same time, that was just a Josh Allen. I don't know what happened to him yesterday. They because got to yes, him, but that's a difference. He had the most pressures this season and the most sacks this season. Yeah, but he also did stupid things. Now you can, tr- I guess you can attribute those to the fact that he had di- he felt pressure over the course of the game. But so, the, some of those turnovers, I mean, he, he he wasn't under pressure like the the second interception. He's not under any pressure there. He just literally, I don't know what he was doing. 
I, I don't, you don't see Josh Allen just miss a guy by that and just throw it to a Jets, you know, defensive back for no apparent reason, really. I think, look, I think the Jets are not terrible. And if you're a Jets fan, that's a nice shift from the last 10 years. So that's good. And I think, yes, they're capable of beating. But if you told me, going back to the idea of, of putting the Bills in pretty much any bet, if you then told me the Jets are only going to score 20 points, I would have, then I would have put, put the Jets, you know, the, then the Bills would have been in everything minus 10 probably. And then if you told me Zach Wilson's going to have 154 54 yards, I mean, like there's no, there's nothing really from that game other than the fact that it's just a weird, it's the same way I felt almost not to like when the Bills lost to the Dolphins, they just threw that game. They dominated that game and they, and they really did throw it away. Yeah, and half their team was injured that game. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't they didn't dominate this game, but it's a weird loss. I didn't come away from it thinking, wow, what a performance from the Jets. Their defense is good, but it just felt like just not a good day at the office for the Bills, basically. Well, we're basically halfway through the NFL season. And I went and put together the playoff bracket as it stands right now. So I'll run through this. And you can do, we can do two things. One, tell me if you think this is how it will be at the end of the season. And two, if it were to play now, who wins? Okay. okay. So we'll start with the NFC. Number one seed, Eagles. I think they're going to hold on to the number one seed. With, their, I, I with the schedule they have, I, I, I think it's a strong possibility. I think it's a lock. Yeah. They're 8 0. The Vikings are 7 and 1 in second. And that's a stretch that they're seven and one. Yeah, <laughs> and, and next no, is the Seahawks a... at six and three, and Cowboys. I, I, at six I, and two. I mean, yeah, I think at most the Eagles lose two games. So I think, yeah, yeah they're they're the number one seed in the NFC. Okay, so the first matchup would be Vikings seven and one versus the Forty ers four and four. Forty ers making a wild card. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it because <laughs> you love Kirk Cousins. Uh, Kirk Cousins, if the chance to play primetime Kirk Cousins in a playoff game, oh, I mean, like, <laughs> sign me up. That's <laughs> that's that's really reminiscent to me. I mean, I think just from the Niners' perspective over recent seasons, right? That first or second round playoff game when they get to play whoever is coming out of the NFC North, you know, we've just seen seen this time and time again that those teams just aren't that great and the records are stronger than they should be you know we've seen that with the Packers over the last few years and yeah you're gonna have a team like oh the Vikings you know only three losses over the course of the season it's gonna get hyped up going into it and then it's just gonna be Kirk Cousins panicking in the backfield as he gets pressured on almost every you know every snap and the Niners just running the ball all over them and it's gonna be the Niners winning by 20 points. Yeah, and, and then for the Vikings, I mean, I don't know if they'll stick in the number two spot, but at this point, I think it's pretty hard to argue they're not going to win the division. They have a five-game lead right now over the three and six Packers and the three and six Bears. At this point, I, I mean, I would almost say the Bears have a better shot to catch the Vikings than Probably. the Packers do. Considering the Packers' next three games are likely going to be losses, you're looking at a three and nine Packers team. So, yeah, at the same uh, time, then looking at the Vikings schedule, they play the Bills next. I expect them to lose that. And then but a five-game lead with eight games left is tough. I know. 
but I guess in terms of more thinking of them in, in terms of the two seed, I could yeah, see them. Yeah. I, I could see them losing the two seed. I mean, the issue with losing the two seed is it will be it'll have to be the NFC West because the next game would be the third ranked Seahawks versus the wild card New York Giants. So I guess that's the one where the Seahawks right now are sitting six and three in a conference where in a division where you have the Niners that are four and four. So the Niners are only technically one game out. Well, the Niners are running the table. Okay. (laughs) Well, if the Niners run the table, then I think there's a shot that they could move up to number two. If they I don't think, run the table, <laughs> I don't think they really will. I, I, I think the Niners probably lose three games over the, over okay. the rest of the season. So not so. so ten and seven. Yeah, I'd say. I don't think that would be enough to get the second seed. No, probably not. Um, but yeah, I think for that one, I mean, I kind of like the Giants' chances. I know they just lost to the Seahawks, but they just played poorly that game. I, I think it would be a close game. I don't think. That's how it will end up, and I don't. I still don't know if the Giants even make the playoffs at, at this time. I mean, they're six and two, and then the next team would be San Fran at four and four in the wild card, and then after that you have Atlanta at four and five, Washington four and five, and the Rams and Saints at three and five. So they have a pretty good jump start on a lot of those teams. I think the Giants are making the playoffs. I think. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they might be the last wild card in. Yeah, but I think they'll make the playoffs. And then the last game there is the Bucks, who are currently winning their division at four and five, versus the Cowboys at six and two. Yeah, um, I think the Bucks. We kind of said it time and time again, right? I still think they're going to win the, their division. That yesterday went really well for them in the combination of them sneaking out a win and other yeah. teams in their division losing, and okay. that kind of. I thought. I th- I was going to say, the game itself didn't go really well. I wouldn't no. call that a really well, well the only thing uh, I will run say, performance. <laughs> the only thing I will say, their defense looked good again. I think the Rams are pretty terrible. You know, like Overall, like their offense just looks really bad. But still, the Bucks' defense at least looked com- like not elite, but very good for parts of that game. And that would probably reassure me. Of their offense does not look good. The thing I struggle with a little bit is it's one of those cliches you throw out in most sports, right? Is that really good players, they just look like they have more time. And you see that a lot with quarterbacks. Tom Brady at the moment does not look like he has more time. Like he looks, you know, he looks like he's playing in fast forward mode in terms of how quickly he feels pressure. Well, he has the fastest release in the NFL every year usually. Yeah, but now he just looks panicked. Now it's yeah, now it's even There's, worse. <laughs> there, now it's but then part of me, what I don't know is I'm trying to assess whether or not this is a 45 year old guy making the calculation of look, we're gonna win the division. We're probably not like that's how we're making the playoffs. We're not gonna be able to be a top one or two seed. So everything else is meaningless. Like if we can win the division under 500 then who cares and part of me wonders if that's him just saying i need to be healthy when we're in the playoffs so i will just throw the ball away i'm not taking hits because you see a lot of the times when i think brady of old would have kind of stood in the pocket for a second longer and he's not going to take huge hits anyway because he just gets the brady respect but he's now just trying to avoid any form of contact and 
I think maybe as the season goes on, that changes. Like in the playoffs, he won't be quite as conservative in that respect. And I'm, I'm struggling with this Bucks team as to whether I'm just being overly op- optimistic about their ability to improve over the course of the season and the fact that the playoff version of them will look different. But I still think uh, there were some positives. The, the thing that stunned me about the game yesterday is the number of drops. Like that. Yeah. That it's was been happening kind of... to them a lot, though, this year. They might lead the NFL in drops. I mean, that's I'm just pulling that out of nowhere. But they... Every time I watch them play, they drop the ball on them at least four times yeah. a game. Yeah, I mean, obviously there was a huge Mike Evans drop a couple of weeks ago when he was wide open. I, I, midway through the third or in the fourth, they showed the graphic that they'd had seven drops already over the course of that game. By the wow. end of it, they must have been around 10. Some of the drops were terrible. I mean, just wide open guys, balls hitting them in the chest, just dropping it. And And again, players like Mike Evans doing it. You know, you're not talking about... Sometimes people, it's easy to be like, well, of course, that nameless guy we've never heard of dropped the ball. Mike Evans is recognized widely as being one of the best wide receivers in the game for the last few years. And now twice a game, he's just dropping balls that I think most kids would catch almost. So that bit's a little bit surprising. I don't know why necessarily that will change. Like, I don't know why Mike Evans will remember how to catch between now and January, but I, I guess he probably will. But I, that was a big win for them. And I, I, I think there were more positives than negatives, even if, and look, the final drive was pretty impressive. That final drive was very, yeah, like, it was a good drive. Brady esque in terms of, you know, very yeah. composed, just moving the way down the field, finding open receivers, just kind of chipping away. That was a very yeah. like prime. That was like Brady ten years ago when he was 40, 40 years old. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it was. It's just that was the only time we saw that over the course. That and the other thing, crisp forty-year-old Brady drive right there. The other thing that really concerns me too is just their struggles at the goal line offensively. The number of times over the season that they've been first and goal from the three or four, and they come away with either no points or a field goal. And I just think there's also that moment where they're almost in their own heads when they get into that situation where they're really overcomplicating things and they're, you know, trying to do things differently because they've failed on them previously, but you cannot be a team, especially when you're built the way that they are. You can't be coming away from being on the opponent's like three yard line and come away with three points. Like that's just not possible. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, wrapping the NFC side of it up, I think it's actually not crazy to say that this Who's in the playoffs now will be the same teams that are in the playoffs come uh, the end of the season. Because, I mean, the only case you could make, I mean, maybe is the four and five Washington Commanders. Or if you still have any hope in the Rams turning it around, the Rams at three and five. Uh, You know, the Bears at three and six look like they're playing okay, but they're still losing. They lost their last two. It's not like they're winning. They're just looking a little better. Um, maybe the Falcons, do you give them a chance at four and five to, to come hot? I, I don't know. I, I give the Rams like no shot. Just okay. they look so terrible. And they have yeah. a tough schedule. You're going to yeah. be playing the night, right? No, they're done with the Niners, but yeah. I, yeah, I mean, you can't write off any scenario really in the NFC South. I mean, I guess the Panthers are officially done now. They had a couple weeks of forgetting that they were supposed to lose and then they remembered yesterday and 
at just the right time for the Bengals. So that was perfect case, you know, like, but I, I guess you can't be too confident if the Saints win tonight against the Ravens, then they're sort of in the mix, right? So I, I, I think NFC South and NFC East with, yeah, the Commanders, maybe. It's the only place where I could really see anything changing. Yeah. And if we go to the AFC, you have right now the six and two Bills hold the tiebreaker over the Chiefs, so they would be the number one seed. Then you have the Chiefs sitting at the second seed playing the five and three Chargers. You have the Ravens at five and three as the three seed playing the six and three Dolphins. And then you have the Titans as the four seed, also at five and three, playing the six and three Jets. What stands out to you there? Um well, obviously I don't think the Jets are too great. So the fact that the Jets will be playing a playoff game probably stands out. I so, mean, I, guess I mean the- you are looking to be right behind them in well, I mean, they're actually not the worst wild card they're actually the first wild card right now at six and three but you have new england five and four and cincinnati five and four right behind them and after that it you're getting down a little bit yeah i mean anything kind of looking at from a divisional standpoint right anything in the afc east could almost happen it's weird right i mean i i think the bills are the best team in the nfl it's not inconceivable that the bills miss the playoffs like there's like because they're having these weird slip-ups against teams they really should be beating i mean if they lose two, three more games, there is a possibility that they miss the playoffs altogether. I don't think that will happen, but they have, you know, I I said just now, oh, I think the Bills will definitely beat the Vikings next Sunday. If they suddenly lost that, then things could look way more complicated for them. And in the very least, and certainly in terms of getting the bye, which is something that obviously every team wants, but even from a playoff perspective, they could be, you know, next week they could be third in their division, which would be crazy. Um, so, yeah, I don't think you can rule out. The Patriots, I think, have a chance of, of scraping in. The Bengals, I don't know. I mean, I the Bengals they... are only one game out in the loss column from the Ravens. Yeah. Um, and, and, yes, they played well, but who did they play last week? You know, so it's it's tough to make any decision on them. I think literally the only thing I can – strongly say here is that the titans are going to win the afc south yeah they have a two-game lead over the colts and the colts just fired their head coach and uh, seem not too with it right now so i don't see them making a push now or later on especially since they just hired jeff saturday who i just heard this morning on get up talking to (laughs) talking to greenie so i don't know how he's going to be from (laughs) talking to uh greenie to talking to his 653 man roster um I don't understand that higher. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't really get it. But uh, yeah, and then you have the Jags and the Texans. So I think the Titans are a lock, uh, and they'll probably sit in that either three or four seed. You know, they'll get a home game, but that's about it. Um, but after that, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't I don't feel super confident. Uh, the Ravens versus the Bengals. I think they both have a lot of flaws. At times, the Ravens seem great, and at times, they seem like they can't get out of their own way. Same with the Bengals, I guess you could say. And then you have Chiefs and Chargers. I feel confident in the Chiefs, obviously, making the playoffs. I'm not 
so confident in the Chargers. I picked them to make it to the Super Bowl, and they're struggling to win games right now. And they have, I think, one of the hardest back end schedules out of any team in the NFL, according to schedule rankings, where they had the 30th hardest schedule in the first eight games, and they still were only five and three. So that's yeah, I mean, a major worry for the Chargers. <laughs> you just look at the next two weeks, right? They have the Niners and then the Chiefs. Yeah. So I'm not saying they're definitely going to lose both of those games because they're good. They could win either of them. They could win both of them. But from an odds perspective, they're more likely to lose both of those games. And if you then put them, you know, two more defeats, then suddenly that puts a lot of pressure on them down the stretch. Yeah. And it's true when you do look at their games beyond that. Yes, on paper, I guess they would be described as being difficult games, but they're all winnable. You know, like yeah. I I don't think they'll play they play the Titans, for example. I think they'll they'd go into a game against the Titans feeling pretty confident they'd be able to get a win. So I, I think they need to get some of these injuries back pretty quickly though. I mean you have Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, you're missing your two top receivers. <laughs> it's uh not a key success and uh, Bosa is still out. So you know they have a lot of injuries that they need to get back. And then yeah again like you said the AFC East, I mean that is just clustered right now. And I think the Bills, I agree, I think they are the best team in the AFC, but the Dolphins look really good, at least on offense. Uh you can't really seem to stop them on offense and the Jets have a good defense, but not much offense. You know, I don't, it'll be tough. I, I don't think the Patriots are that great. So I'll rule them out as not making it. But, you know, any of the other three, if they can catch a streak. Yeah. The big test for the Patriots will be this weekend. They play the Jets. If they, yeah. or next weekend, they have a bye actually. But if they win their next game against the Jets, then they are right in the mix. If they lose Which that they just game. just beat two weeks yeah. ago. If they lose that game, then that might be it for them just because of the way that division is going to play out with, you know, I think you can expect both the bills and the dolphins to win most of their remaining games. So it just becomes complicated. But if the, if the Patriots win that they're right in there. And give me your Super Bowl matchup. Oh, bills, Niners. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll just, I'll hope, cross my fingers that Christian McCaffrey stays healthy for the next couple of months. And I don't feel great about anyone from the NFC. So <laughs> I just don't. I, I, It's disrespectful to the Eagles, I guess. But as we've said multiple times, I've just not seen them beat anyone good yet. So they've shown that they're consistent. You know, even in that Thursday night game, right? They were, they did what good teams do, which is they won without playing that well. And then they, they kind of pulled away as the game went on. But they were in trouble sort of midway through that game. And, you know, they weren't playing a good team. So they just don't do anything to totally convince me that when they get to the playoffs, they're going to be able to win multiple games in a row. And yours, sticking with the Chargers? I'm going to go... <laughs> I'm going to go Chiefs-Eagles. I think, though, if the Chargers can get some of these players back soon, oh, God. I'd still be strong on them. But I, I, it's it's every week you think they're coming back, and then it's just week after week after week. And at a point when you don't have a freaking receiver to throw to, it's tough to win games. 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's certain teams who just seem to suffer from injuries, and the Niners are one of them. The the Chargers are the other, where it feels like every year part of the storyline is multiple players missing. I don't know what it is. If it's the training staff, it's if it's the physio team, the medical team. I don't know what it is, but both of those teams, and they're not alone in that fact, but they are two teams where consistently it's like, oh, they're really good, but they're missing players X, Y, Z. So I guess switching away from the NFL, not the most eventful weekend in the Premier League. Like we have a team we won't even mention, so I'm not going to discuss the match where Spurs lost. We're not even talking about that. Uh, <laughs> it's just not not happening yet. Um, City scraped through against Fulham. A little bit of controversy coming out of that match in terms of the penalty that they were awarded in the 93rd minute or whatever it was. Uh, several people accusing Kevin De Bruyne of diving, of the fact that it was a kind of penalty that only top teams are given. It's a soft penalty, I think, is fair to say. At the same time, for everyone who's, you know, people who are analyzing different replays that seem to show no contact, I think there is certainly replays that show there was some level of contact. And yes, Kevin De Bruyne made the most of it in terms of the way that he went down, but it's kind of what you have to do to win penalties. It's just, that's more, I think people finding issue with that, they need to look at the way that matches are officiated rather than the players because it's just we've got to a point now if you don't fall over you don't get penalties like so there's that's the problem there but the bigger issue to me if you really think it's a dive and there is no contact the Fulham player in question doesn't he just was resigned doesn't to the, protest yeah all. he just oh it's a penalty like there was just complete yeah. acceptance and there's nothing in the modern game where players don't react I mean they sometimes you know break an opponent's leg and still try and pretend that it wasn't a foul. So it's to me, that's the biggest sign that there was at least some decent contact there. And he knew yeah. immediately that he'd made a mistake. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to uh, give you the chance to revise your answer anymore, but who scored that? The game winner? <laughs> yeah. Well, unconvincing penalty has to be said. Uh, interesting. Holland said afterwards, he spoke about how nervous he was for the penalty itself, <laughs> which I thought very honest of him. Uh, and kind of refreshing, you know. You wouldn't get a lot of players who would just say that, yeah, taking a penalty in the ninety-third minute is is nerve wracking. Um, but yeah, I, look, he didn't start. Oh, we've all been there, huh? Yeah, <laughs> he he didn't start. We all know that feeling. <laughs> so there have been little signs recently as to why you might not think you'll get to the goal tally because he picked up a. No, you're not allowed to talk about it anymore. <laughs> you're done. I don't want to hear your reasoning anymore because you say he's going to start skipping matches and then he doesn't start and he still has a goal. So, <laughs> but, and then the other big talking point, I guess, is Arsenal picking up another meaningful victory. You know, that's. Yeah. Big win. That was a, a decent test for them. I mean, Chelsea, are, Chelsea have a lot of injuries at the moment. So they're you're probably, that's them playing Chelsea definitely at the right time. I think you'd have to say, but still, to win away at Chelsea and to keep themselves at the top of the table and probably put themselves definitely in a situation where they're going to go into the World Cup break, probably at the top, I think. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I can't remember exactly what it was. They have what the third or fourth best points start from like the number of games played so far, I think, in history. Yes. And, and it's, I, I saw the table where it showed teams in their position uh, at like what they're, what the end of season results were. 
and I think it's it's of the of the teams with who've accumulated the number of points that they have through their opening eleven fixtures or whatever it was. I think only one team hasn't gone on to win the win the league. So, you know, all things look good for them. At the same time, I still just. Um, you know, I think City will grind them down over the course of the yeah. of the season, and they they've they've not played each other yet uh, because of the postponed uh, match that they had earlier. And you just would expect, you know, if it means that the the title, even if you think Arsenal are going to keep this up, it means the title will be decided in their two matches against each other. And I expect City to come out with a better record from those two fixtures. So that you know the positions will swing purely based on their matches against each other, if nothing else. Um, but yeah, it looks, assuming they don't slip up against Wolves uh, next Saturday, they will go into the World Cup break top of the table. Yeah, 34 from 13. It's the fifth best start in Premier League. Yeah, not bad. And unexpected. I mean, I think even the biggest loss. But it is it is just crazy though, like what you're saying. And and there's still only two points up on City. Like <laughs> that's crazy. No, yeah. I mean, and and that's the th- and I think if you're them, it's hard to be an Arsenal fan and feel like they could have done anything better. I know that obviously they draw points and they'll be frustrated by some of those performances at different moments in time. But realistically, you'd be at this stage being like, well, they'll get to the World Cup break and any honest analysis of how did how has the season gone so far would be, oh, this is remarkable. We could have never imagined to be on this points total at this stage of the season. And then to still have City breathing right down their necks. Whereas I think City in the league would kind of say, oh, we've we've been okay. Like we but we've been we haven't hit our heights yet. And then yeah, you throw in that you'll have a fully rested Erling Holland from the World Cup break heading off to Mallorca or wherever it is he's going to you know, recharge. They they do have the benefit of not being in the Champions League. They can just punt on the Europa League if they want to. And that could become more significant as the season goes on. City, obviously winning the Champions League is the one thing City have left to do. And so you know that City, like I think probably if you ask Guardiola, it'd be interesting if you could ever get an honest answer from them. But if you said you've got two scenarios here, one, you win the league, this season, but you lose in the Champions League again in the semifinals, or you know at some late, some one of the latter stages, or you can finish second to Arsenal. You'll be three, four points behind them at the end of the season, but you win the Champions League. I feel like the honest answer would be they'd want the Champions League because the, that's the thing that because will, they've been there, done that. With, yeah, and that really. will kind of push them into, you know, I think if they're again from a. I don't know how much either Guardiola or any of the players can, are concerned about their legacy or standing in history, but if they get to the end of this era and have not won a Champions League, that will be the thing that people pick holes in how good of a team that they were. So I, th- you just know that they won't be, there'll never be a scenario in which they're resting players midweek, whereas Arsenal, if they want to, can rest players midweek. And also could be in a situation where even if they rest players in the Europa League, they can still win because their opponent might not be that strong anyway. Well, you bring up Champions League and they just had the draw for the round of 16. City, a pretty favorable draw. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason to think. I mean, Leipzig are, um, you know, 
can produce good performances, but you would, and it's not the easiest draw that City could have had. But yeah, I think they would have felt, having won their group, they would have felt that they would have been, the only one they would have, I guess, been worried about would have been PSG as the team to avoid. Yeah. That would have been the only thing they would have said, please, like, don't give us PSG in the first knockout round. That That's not what we want. So I know there's obviously some rules with how they're drawing it, but for the most part, it is randomly drawn, except you can't play the same team that was in your group and you can't play the same country yes. for the 16. Yeah, that's it. Having said that, do you think this random draw is better or do you think they should do a seated bracket? Because I guess you can argue at the end of the day, you have to beat the best teams anyway, no matter what. But I think from an audience standpoint, whether that's the case or not, it's a lot more fun to watch Liverpool Real Madrid in a semifinal match to the finals versus a round of 16 match. Um, I think this and is... You seem, you seem slightly cheated by having that come up so quickly and then not being able to see either of those teams again. No, I think we should thank God that Liverpool might be out of the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean I, but you know what I mean. I, Liverpool isn't a great example here, but you, know, like, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> a little bit, but at the same time... I Whereas think... you have like Bruges versus Benfica. I mean... Yeah, well, it would do two yeah. things though. If you if you had a seeding approach, it would make the group games less meaningful, right? Because there's there's an adv- a huge advantage to winning your group. You know, the the significance of Benfica producing that, you know, closing the gap on PSG and winning six one in that final match and scoring late goals to overhaul the 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 uh, goal difference deficit they had going into that final set of fixtures. Their reward for doing that is is playing club bruges in the next round and and not being psg and playing bayern munich like that is so you know that's benfica getting a prize for what they managed to do in that in that champions league uh, group stages so you remove the significance of that if you have a seated approach and you also just play a little bit into the european super league mentality of well the good teams need to be rewarded right like we need to try and ensure that they make it as far as possible into the tournament. And because of the way the coefficients would have to work in terms of rankings, which would be, you know, you I think the current European, the Champions League, the European ranking coefficients, I think it's based on your last five years of performances. I think it would just, it would reward teams who are consistently in the, in the Champions League, consistently in the knockout stages. So if you're a team that suddenly appears, you know, if you're, I don't know, the year that Leicester City make the Champions League or, you know, whoever it is, you, you not only are you now faced with the mammoth task of competing on uh, the higher stage, but you also know, well, when if if we do make the knockout stages, we're going to have like the worst possible path to the final. That's not, I think that's a little bit unfair. And it would just, it would just kind of, we would, we would end up seeing, I do understand what you're saying. And as, a, as someone who's a complete neutral and has been a complete neutral in the Champions League since the mid 90s, um it's you i do prefer to see you know like the idea of if the semi-final is i don't know ac milan against benfica it doesn't excite me as much as 
yeah. you know, Bayern Munich against City. But well, I mean, I guess the better example would be Bayern Munich against PSG is also happening in this round of 16. Whereas you think those are two teams that would at least make it to the eight, if not final four. Yeah. But you reverse it, right? Which is, you know, if you're a PSG, you, 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 they're trying to prove themselves and, uh, and this is their opportunity to do so if they can knock Bayern Munich out. Uh, and I also don't know from a team standpoint, maybe, I don't know if you're happier. I don't know if you're, if you're PSG, if you're more confident playing Bayern Munich over the course of two legs or if you're playing them in a final in you know, a one-match, one-off situation. I don't know which one they feel like they have a better chance in. I feel like against Bayern Munich, you'd probably rather play them one-off just because they tend to pr- produce one good performance at least out of two. So that's the thing that might make them a little bit more difficult to beat. But, I mean, look, no matter what, in the next stage, we're going to have, you know, enough good teams. There's some ties there that don't excite me. Frankfurt against Napoli doesn't excite me too much, even though Napoli are have been extremely good in, in Serie A so far. Um, Inter against Porto doesn't excite me. And, yeah, Club Bruges against Benfica doesn't excite me. AC Milan against Spurs barely excites me. I mean, it's just like mildly interesting, but I, you know, the, I'd expect, and there's a nightmare scenario here where like Leipzig knockout city and all of a sudden, you know, like the champions league looks really mediocre <laughs> in the quarterfinals. Like it, it's, it's happened before, you know, like there's, there are these weird situations where like Porto knockout inter Leipzig knockout city, and all of a sudden, I mean, there, there's there's a scenario here where you could have Liverpool, and no City, no Real Madrid, no PSG or Bayern Munich, and maybe no Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, 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 if you're if you're UEFA, there's definitely they have preferences over certain teams winning these ties. That's or you know TV rights you know, networks that have companies that have bought the rights to the Champions League, they're definitely looking at this thinking, gosh, we really hope that there aren't a couple of upsets here. But um, yeah, I think, I, I think for the most part, they should go to form. And so you should be guaranteed. And it'd be the interesting thing. Maybe if you're the t- the reverse is also probably true. If you're the UEFA or if you are the, you know, a TV just like a broadcaster with the rights to this. You're probably happy that you probably want one extremely good tie in each round. So here you get PSG Bayern Munich and I guess Liverpool Real Madrid. And so assuming that those matches aren't on the same days, you then are in a situation of like, okay, we know we're going to get viewers tuning in. Even if you're a little indifferent to the Champions League, we know we're going to get people I sort of seeing these as kind of must watch games. Whereas if it was all, you know, Bayern against Club Rouge and, you know, Liverpool against Benfica team, people probably just decide, you know what? I, I don't need to midweek sit down and, and watch this. But I guess then talking, mentioning the world cup break and football, obviously, I guess next week we'll do our world cup preview. So that's for everyone to look forward to. Oh, uh, we can go through, we're going to have a special guest, I think, as part of our preview. Um, and also over the course, oh. also over the course of the World Cup, we're going to have, try and have a number of footballers on who are obviously not participating 
in the World Cup. Good opportunity for us to maybe speak to some players who aren't involved. I thought I thought Messi's still going to compete. Well, once he's knocked out in the group stages, we'll get him on. Oh, okay, okay. But uh, and then so yeah, we'll do all of those previews. Pick the England squad, I guess, which again, week by week, gets a little bit thinner with the injuries that are currently flowing in. But we'll we'll do all of that, um, and and look forward to to that break. But I guess while we're talking about football and that World Cup, it's worth noting. I don't know if you saw, but FIFA written to teams participating. I mean, we don't love to discuss the political sides of sport written to the teams participating. Uh, I, I read this article and it just instantly made me fall asleep and know that Eddie's going to bring it up. <laughs> we have to mention it, but they have I, they've written to teams urging them to focus on the tournament itself and to not lecture uh, uh, based on morality and dragging football into, quote, every ideological or political battle that exists. <laughs> Coming from one of the most corrupt organizations in the planet, yeah. I love it. I, lo- I love that. Hey guys, can you can you shut up about everything except football? Even though we're corrupt as fuck and we take money and bribes and do everything under the sun, but just don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's also. I mean, FIFA's mission statement is develop the game, touch the world, and build a better future. So you know, just in terms of their supposed purpose, you know, reason for existing. I'm not saying that that's a political statement in any way, but there is some implication there that part of what they want to do is use sport as a way to, you know, had changed the world to a certain extent. And they've chosen to have this World Cup take place in a country where there are some cultural and ideological differences with most of the participating countries. So they should have seen this one coming like the in some respects i would have so much more respect for fifa if they said part of the reason why we chose to have a world cup hosted in qatar was because we thought this was a great opportunity for us to you know help change certain certain beliefs within the country and region and have an impact on the society there for them to play the reverse of like, please, please just come here and just kick balls. Like we don't want to talk at all about any of the slightly unpleasant issues about the number of people who maybe died building these stadiums through slave labor or any of their women's rights issues or, you know, LGBTQ rights issues. Let's please ignore this and just kick the ball. I'd have way more respect for them. I mean, they don't have that. They have no spine, so it's not surprising, but I would have respected them more if they'd at least said, this is part of why we did it. You know, we know you don't like it, but we feel like this is one of the things that we can do to make the world a better place. Yeah, but that would be something a, a uh, an honest organization would do. Well, I actually <laughs> think that would be something a dishonest organization would do because I would just think, wow, great PR spin by FIFA. But I'd at least respect the smart PR spin. This is the dumb PR spin coming on the back of the dumb decision. And that to me is the thing that I don't get is like that they're having meetings and I'm assuming, you know, paying some like PR firms and stuff to like, how can we help get the best possible message out there? And it's like, well, why don't you send a letter to the teams, the nations taking part, you know, it will definitely be leaked, right? Like there's no way that this stays in secret. And I'm sure this letter will be well received by the general public. I mean, it's just such a dumb decision all around, but it's not surprising. It's an incredibly poorly run organization that's, you know, mired in corruption controversies. 
obviously Netflix are timing the release of that documentary about how all of this came to be in terms of the awarding of the World Cups to Russia and Qatar. All of, you know, Netflix is going to try and kind of steal the limelight a bit of the World Cup buzz. But yeah, I mean, it's just stupid decision after stupid decision. And then I guess speaking of PR issues, a topic that we just do not mattress Mac. Man. No, I'm not even going to mention. <laughs> I don't. I barely know who that guy is. It's not coming up from my end. But uh, a topic that we have discussed on multiple occasions, which was the Nick Kyrgios situation at Wimbledon when he accused a woman of having 700 drinks and distracting him. I don't know if you saw, but he had he agreed to pay uh, twenty thousand pounds to a charity of her choice as a result of her defamation lawsuit and said that he hoped that this was the, he, uh, he apologized. He said uh, on the 10th of July, 2022, during the Wimbledon men's final, I told the umpire that a fan who I now know to be Anna Palace Palace was distracting me during the match, believing that she was drunk. I accept that belief was mistaken and I apologize to make amends. I have donated 20,000 pounds to the great Ormond street hospital charity a charity chosen by Miss Palace or Palace. I will not be commenting on this matter again. So if you're her, are you happy with the, I mean, do you think that's what oh, she, you got your five minutes of fame? She, I think all she wanted was the, the fame of like, it's that whole thing just angered me from the start to the finish because no one knew who she was. You can't tell me that you were embarrassed and humiliated when he didn't know your name. No one even really showed you. So your name was never public. You were the one who came out and said it was me. An easier way would have just been like, oh, I don't know who that was. Yeah, that woman looked like me, but that wasn't me. Well, <laughs> You'd even have to lie because no one would, would well, even ask you. No, no, that doesn't. <laughs> I don't think that works because imagine your work. Someone from your work was tuning in. I mean, her face was shown, right? So... If you knew her, if you knew her, you would quickly. She had like glasses and a hat. Yeah, on. If you knew her, you recognize her. You know, what I mean, like if that's your work colleague, if if you're her boss, you, you instantly recognize her. And then, do you think there's any chance she went? To, she had tickets, pretty good tickets to the Wimbledon men's final, and didn't tell people. So you kind of be turning up to work on Monday and being like, "Oh, Anna, I saw you at a, I, I saw you at Wimbledon on Saturday. It looks like, on Sunday. It looks like you got kicked out." No, no, that wasn't me. But you you were all last week. You said you had tickets to the final, how excited you were. You told us where they were. <laughs> no, 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 no. In the end, I didn't go. It wasn't, definitely wasn't me. My, I gave them to my sister. There you go. But she looks Easy very answer. similar. And she's a complete, she looks, I mean, she's a complete drunk. Sister. <laughs> she's, she's, I gave it to my alcoholic sister. <laughs> my unhinged sister. <laughs> But no, I, I can kind of look, I can kind of understand from her perspective. You never know with things like that. In the world we live in, right, with the internet, one newspaper or whoever it is finds your name and then, you know, you're applying for a job five years from now and the Google search of you produces, you know, the top result is like you've got your LinkedIn profile and an article on the Daily Mail talking about how you were kicked out of a Wimbledon's men final for supposedly having 700 drinks. I can understand wanting some level of apology. Uh, I guess, I don't know if this is the win I would have wanted, but I can, I can get, what do you want? Oh, I'm, if I'm doing this, I want, I'm, I'm not caring about charities. 
buying it for myself. But but she said that when she came out, she said she doesn't want any money. She said she didn't want any money, and that some she even I think mentioned she would just want something to charity. Yeah, I know, but I feel like that's the thing you say because. Well, then you know what, Eddie, don't say that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have. <laughs> but I do think if you're her, that's the thing you say because you don't want to come across as someone who's like, oh, here's your opportunity to get some free money. Huh? Like this is, you probably go to every- Or maybe she said to donate it to Alcoholics Anonymous. Or is that what he does? Is that his backhand slap to her? <laughs> I won't let you <laughs> that choose. That would be amazing. I won't let you choose a charity. I'm donating it to AA. <laughs> I would that I would not hold that. I would not put that past him. To do <laughs> it's the greatest like troll job ever. Yeah. But another topic that I know you'll love. We've covered a little bit of the political. I guess it's worth mentioning on the back of our last podcast that Kyrie Irving has been suspended for a minimum of five games. Basically, as a result of not only the original promotion sharing. I know he hates the word promotion. He he he's insulted whenever a reporter implies that he promoted something by resharing it on his Twitter and Instagram profiles. but And says, check this out. Yeah. <laughs> but, but not definitely not promoting, but just trying to, you know, put information into the world or whatever dumb way he would like to try and not explain it. But he's been suspended in large parts just because of his refusal to apologize and the fact that he's mishandled every opportunity to speak to the press and the public about the situation since then. And a little bit like we discussed in the last episode, just one of those people who obviously thinks he's much smarter than he is and feels like he's winning these, like every time he's just like meeting reporters, it's some kind of intellectual duel and he's definitely coming out on top. I think the peak of this was him in, in his rambling in the kind of practice facility courtside press conference that he held to just, I think his last chance to apologize was basically, he, he included the quote, I know the Oxford Dictionary. As this is a sign of his intelligence was that he knows. I know it too. Yeah, I <laughs> never read it, but I know it exists. <laughs> but but I thought that was. I know Webster's too. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I know multiple. I thought that was just the peak. Whatever meaningful statement he felt that that was, I get it. He was trying to say, like, there's a significance behind words, and I understand them. I don't think reading the dictionary helps you to understand the historical context or the usage of words necessarily. Like, I don't think if you just read up the dictionary definition, I think that's actually usually how, like, people troll, right, is, like, You'll, someone will say something and be like, "Oh, look it up." It's it's not. It doesn't mean anything like what you say. That's not what I meant at all. But uh, he's just an idiot, just a massive idiot. I guess the real question is, do you think he'll ever play in the NBA again? Yeah, I'm sure he will. He's a good player. Is he though? I mean, I mean, he's better than a majority of the people out there. I, I mean, in the Deshaun Watson didn't even get a year suspension. He's coming back. Yeah, but the <laughs> the issue with Kyrie Irving is he's been a bad teammate, right? So this is this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And like, yes, this is major controversy that he would that the team would not have wanted. But on top of that, he's been a really difficult teammate in Cleveland, in Boston, in Brooklyn. And then now he has this. Obviously he's a great player from an offensive standpoint. His defense is pretty terrible now. I I don't know. I wouldn't be stunned if 
this is the last time we ever see Kyrie Irving play in the NBA. I, I think he'll be back. But I, I mean, get, going back to your point about how he thinks he's so intelligent in that I mean, we talked about this off the podcast, but he had those comments where he tries. I think he's trying to like sneak it by people, but it's so obvious. So the one, well, the one comment just made no sense when they asked whether he had anti-Semitic beliefs. And he said, I can't be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. I, I mean, I, there's a lot of people who know where they come from well, I and think, they're anti-Semitic. I th- like, that doesn't even make sense. So I think he's always alluding to... But he's trying to sound smart. Yeah, and I think he's he's trying to point, point out the fact, because I mean, this is what this documentary and book, right, touches on is the idea that, uh, you know, black people are the children of Israel and that this is part of what Jews deny is the, that they are the, that black people are the true Israelites. I don't know. I don't even want to give any space for the weird thoughts, but the, I think that's part of what he's saying is like, it's like, he's basically saying it's like accusing a Jewish person of being anti-Semitic, which you a hundred percent could be. There's a, there's, there's, there's a, there's a way that you can hate yourself or, you know, like hate other people of your kind or decide that you no longer associate with that type of person. So I, I think it's entirely possible anyway. And then his other comment was they asked him about his beliefs regarding the Holocaust. And the easy answer is, yes, I believe the Holocaust. It, it was real. It did happen. It was terrible. That's yeah. a simple standard what you say because it's a true no statement. i think it, here is what no, he no, said before you read, before what you read what it's it's not even that is the simple like that should be the only it's just like a yeah it yeah. happened terrible thing next question like we're yeah this is his those falsehoods are unfortunate and it's not that i don't believe in the holocaust i never said that never ever ever have i said that it's not come out of my mouth i never tweeted it i never liked anything like it so he doesn't say he believes in it. He just says he never said he didn't believe in it. That's all he said. Then he goes on to say, it's never like, oh, sorry. So the Holocaust in itself is an event that means something to a large group of people that suffered something that could have been avoided. <laughs> that isn't the most roundabout way to get out of answering something and not sounding like you're anti-Semitic. I don't know what it is. Yeah, and then he did the classic thing of, in within that press conference too, right, of, well, where were you, like, then flipped it on reporters, like, where were you talking about slavery and, you know, the, and, look, I, I, I'm not saying, there's plenty of times where a lot of racial issues could be, get received more coverage. I don't think within the NBA reporting as a whole, I think it's a league that's dedicated a fair amount of time to covering, civil, you know, like, if you look at the way players openly protested against, you know, issues that have occurred over the past few years, I think it's a league where it's difficult as a player to say, well, we don't talk about, we only talk about Jewish issues here. I don't think that's, and there's the person I feel sorry for. There's only one active Jewish player in the NBA. And I will say for the most part, other players have been pretty quiet about this situation to have a player like old, like openly sharing pretty anti-Semitic material and also semi-denying the Holocaust in the process. And then, like, there's not been a lot of other players who've come out and been like, Kyrie Irving's an idiot. A little bit of an awkward situation for the one Jewish player to be sitting in a, in a locker room feeling like, I don't know how many of these people, because you've had people come out and defend Kyrie. 
for being a, just an advanced thinker and an open mind or, you know, like the dumb ways in which they try and protect him. A little bit awkward. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's amazing that he thinks he's so smart and getting away with what he's saying, but it, it's so obvious that he's just an idiot. I mean, it, <laughs> it's, it's an event that means something to a group of people that suffered something. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> But not to hit the hat trick of events you don't enjoy, of topics you don't enjoy. We won't even talk about Mattress Mac. You're the one who even made me aware of him in the first place, although there was some relentless coverage of him during over the course of those World Series. But the Houston. Yeah, I mean, and they are weekend at Bernie's. Bernie's <laughs> yes, that guy. pretty sad. I mean, he is. He is not. For, he's on the dugout, and they got. You can see the strings holding him up as he goes. Also, he's in that awkward situation where he's got his security right standing around him, who then cheer for him, but you now really don't care. But like, it's part of his entourage with just his security trying to protect him. But obviously, the Houston Astros. I mean, the much better bet though than him was the person who bet the fifty dollars on the Astros defeating the Phillies way back in the beginning of the year that won 125,000. Yeah. So 50 to 125k is a huge win and that person did not hedge. At least said they didn't. Yes, at least <laughs> you know, I probably would have I take people on their okay. word, Eddie. <laughs> uh, except Mattress Mac, that guy's been Empire dead for years. <laughs> um yeah, the the Astros won the World Series. I guess it maybe helps them to change their image slightly obviously the after the cheating controversy of a couple of years ago i don't know if it i think for the most part this angers people in baseball more than it makes them think differently of that team one thing i just have to address in general from american sports celebrations the goggles when you're spraying champagne just it's not necessary you know like you just don't if you're that concerned about your eyes and getting a little bit of champagne in your eyes, don't be in the room spraying the champagne. But I, it's such a pathetic look. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I've never won a championship of significance to spray myself with champagne, so I can't comment on the, on the pain of the burning sensation. I mean, I've sprayed champagne. <laughs> I've been sprayed in the eyes with champagne. I think I would be... Decide if my eyes were getting stinging a little bit, I would be reminding myself that I just won the World Series. Like I wouldn't be, I'm not going to crumple in the corner and cry because my eyes hurt a little bit. It's not like you're going to have some long term damage. It's not like we ever heard like, wow, man, that guy was the, the greatest first baseman of all time, and then won the World Series one year, got a little bit of champagne in his eyes, and couldn't hit a curveball again. So I mean, it's, I, I don't. It's just a stupid, it's just such a loser look for me. Speaking of, on a similar note, the National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL, uh, the Portland Thorns won uh, probably like a week ago, I think, or two weeks ago. And they have a 17-year-old on their team that literally had to stand in the corner while the team celebrated with the beer and champagne spray. And it was, now that is a is a bad look and i i get it there's nothing else you can really do i guess because americans are so uptight about it but 
would Americans have really been upset had she got involved in like the spraying of the beer? Like, is that illegal? Can you not have beer sprayed into your into your face? <laughs> I don't know if we want to get into that discussion. I don't know if I want this. Is this the the hill you want to die on? Is this the America we have where you can't even spray beer into the face of a seventeen year old? <laughs> well, you're the anti-American. You tell me. I think it's a little extreme. You know, I do agree with you. I think you give her a non-alcoholic, you know, like the fizzy apple juice kind of thing. You give her that. So she... No, everyone else has to get the fizzy apple juice. Only she can have the beer to spray she, others. Yeah, she's not getting it on herself. <laughs> but, you know, like I think, yeah, you you don't put her in the situation where she is holding it. If you want to be that careful about it, you go, okay, look here, take the non-alcoholic beer or take whatever, and you're going to spray that. And we're not going to be overly concerned that this 17-year-old might get a couple of drops of champagne in her mouth. It's not like she's suddenly going to be unconscious in the corner because, oh my God, she's consumed so much alcohol. She's just, you know, like. It just seeps through her skin. (laughs) And if you want, put like a paintball mask on her or something. Like if you're going to have the people, nobody if you're going to have. Put the Bane mask on her. Hannibal Lecter mask. They should have just tied her up like Hannibal Lecter and just wheeled her in. Just had her in the corner. Put her behind like a glass cage in the middle of the room, just tied, tied up like Hannibal Lecter. Put her in a bubble like the Bubble Boy. Yeah. Just spray her out, spray her bubble. But no, I agree with you. Like, there's bigger things to worry about. It's not, and maybe you tell her like, please don't like openly appear to be drinking this. You know, like, but yeah, yeah. It seems. Seem. I mean, the other option too, right, is kind of have a closed doors thing. That's no fun. You know, no cell phones. Yeah. Because that's the problem is everyone has to film every instance, which is another thing is do do you, do people think that the general public really cares about like a champagne shower? Like the amount of players that live stream it, like who is who is watching that? Be like, oh, my God, that is so <laughs> awesome. I don't know. Oh, my God. Look at them spraying each other. Wow. <laughs> Another interesting quote from you, but I, um, I, where's Sam when you need him? I think uh, I I do agree with you, but I, there's obviously people out there. There's people who consume a lot of stuff on social media that I have no interest in, and I think there are people out there who'd be like, "Oh my god, look at that great, that wild celebration! Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever seen? So much champagne!" Oh, here here comes the standard old coach about to do a dance and break it down. Isn't he cool? Isn't this seventy-five-year-old white guy cool? Because he's kind of dancing. Oh my god, he's so in touch with his players. They have such a special bond. Oh look, he's spraying his players. <laughs> But now I think the, th- the thing that always surprises me about that situation too, you've seen it a few times uh, in football in Europe where you've had uh, Muslim players who then like can't take part in that. Um, Sadio Mane um, was one of them who, but you've had a few of them. It surprised me in the US it doesn't happen more frequently, a little bit like with the 17-year-old girl where you don't have some kind of high-profile athletes who then like ask not to be part of the, the champagne celebration. Right. Yes, that wraps up the discussion within the world of sport for the week. Yeah, I don't really have anything else except I am asking you. I'm not going to say I'm begging, 
but I would like you to watch Andor. Oh God! Uh, I'll I'll I'll, tr- I will, I'll try an episode. Okay. You have to try three because <laughs> they're three. They're they're like three episode kind of like almost like mini movies. Okay. Yeah. Here's what I'll tell you. It is the first Marvel or Star Wars or whatever show of like that that is a TV show that happens to be in said universe. Okay. So it's like the first one that isn't like a Marvel show about this. It's a good TV crime show. I guess it's kind of a crime. You'd call it a crime thriller that happens to take place in the Star Wars world. All right. I'll try it. I'll try it. But if because it, it's it's interesting because we talked about, you know, you had a new Game of Thrones, a new Lord of the Rings. And at the same time, you had a new Star Wars. And I think this one is hands down the best of the three. Like it's at this point, oh, you, it's not even a comparison. Oh, you think it's way better than the Lord of the Rings? Yes. Okay. If this is another Mighty Ducks situation, though, then we're going to have issues. <laughs> and then while you're at it, watch Mighty Ducks Season 2 because it's heating up. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a TV recommendation. It's kind of not a recommendation, I guess. Been watching from the BBC, SAS Rogue Heroes, a new series that came out. It's about set in World War II, about the formation of the, the SAS, the sort of elite special forces uh, arm of the British Army. And... Uh, it's okay. I'm not going to say absolutely go out of your way to watch it. It's okay. It's interesting. It's from the same creator of Peaky Blinders. And uh, oh yeah, I heard about. It. I think it's on Netflix, isn't it? It might be. I'm watching it through the BBC, but it may well be in the same way that Peaky Blinders, same kind of agreement, right? It's like a yeah. Um, it's okay. It has some pretty big actors in it. You know, speaking of Game of Thrones, it has uh, Alfie Allen in it. So, uh, but. Ooh. Dominic West, always good to see. Always from the more of a fan of, of his sister, but <laughs> Alfie's the second rate in that family. Oh, I thought you were talking Dominic West. I was like, I don't even know who is just just a random person to see you like. Um, it's all right. It's it's kind of watchable. I do feel like if it feels like they kind of copy the, you can watch it and you go, okay, this is from the same people who made Peaky Blinders. Like there's a lot of lighting, the editing approach, the inclusion of music sometimes in terms of the inclusion of music that's not like more modern music, which over the course of the, I feel like in the pilot they use more and then maybe they realize like this is coming across as too much of a, like a Peaky Blinders. Or they spent all their money buying the rights for the pilot. No, I think episode. it's more <laughs> just like, if oh, this, is, this just feels like we're trying to like copy and paste what we did with Peaky Blinders of like we stick the, the like kind of jarring musical inclusion, but then the like lights flickering a lot and kind of people coming out of dark corners more. It felt they, they ditch it over the course of the series, but it's watchable, but not, not incredible, but it suffers from a, so actually I just as a fun, it's, it suffers from that thing that a lot of TV shows do when they're new. They tries to introduce you to too many people and too many storylines too quickly. So like episode one, it's trying to get you to have some kind of attachment to one of five different people. And it's giving you all of their information, like right there. It's like, mm-hmm. now I just feel like I'm getting three minutes of one person, then going to a completely different storyline for three minutes. And I, I don't really know what I'm watching. All right. Well, with that, I think we'll call it a day. All right. Talk to you later. Yeah, see you.